0: Hello and welcome, you've tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett.
1: Even though it looked like these people were the bad figs, God says these are the good figs. These are the ones I chose. What is it? Why is it that some people turn out to be good figs and some turn out not?
0: When King Nebuchadnezzar took some of the Hebrew people into exile, those who were left behind breathed a sigh of relief. Thank goodness the riffraff have gone, the bad figs have been weeded out. Now there's a judgment call. In fact, those in exile had not escaped God's attention. They were not the riffraff, they were directly in God's gaze. Tonight, Dr. Corbett looks at what makes for a good fig. Let's join him So now.
1: we're Jeremiah 24, and as I mentioned, this is part 64 of Jeremiah. And in this, this section is what makes for a good fig. What makes for a good fig. So, uh, the fig in scripture is a very interesting fruit, very interesting tree. Uh, arguably, it was the fig that was the the tree of the knowledge of that represented the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. So, the fig is an interesting fruit. It was used in temple ceremonies unlike pretty much any other fruit. But the fig was used. So you could bring an animal as a sacrifice or you could... There were lots of other things you could bring. But one of the things you could bring is a basket of figs. And in the Middle East where, where this sort of is happening, there was a delicacy that would happen when they would get their early rain and fig trees would bear first their first crop of fruit. Fig trees were known in the Middle East to bear two... Fruits, uh, an early fruit, and 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 they would fruit again a bit later on, and the early fruit would take place around about June, and the second fruit would take place uh, around September or so. But the first fruit that would come off a fig tree in the first season was considered a delicacy. It was sweet, it was it was highly sought after, and so as part of a way of saying. We love you, God. The, the, the Hebrews would take a basket of these first fruit figs in a basket and, and present them to God. Bring them to the temple, present them to God. Just place them before God. God, this is the best of the figs and we, we think that you deserve the best. Here it is. The best is for you, God. There it is. So that's, that's kind of the role of figs in worship. So let's have a look. We're reading from Jeremiah 24 verse 1. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen and the metal workers, and had brought them down to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two Baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. Verse two. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs. So there's that first early season, first figs. But the other basket had very bad figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Verse three. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs, the good figs, very good, the bad figs, very bad, so bad they cannot be eaten. Now, As we look at this, we're going to look over the shoulder of the people that Jeremiah is now prophesying to in in the temple courtyard. The moment Jeremiah says, "There's two baskets of figs, good figs, bad figs," the people who heard that would have made reference to the fact that this was after the exile of Jeconiah and certain people. The it says together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, metalworkers, and others uh, who'd been taken to. Babylon. Most of the people hearing Jeremiah say this in the temple courtyard would think, "Uh aha, God got rid of all the bad figs. You know, he, after all, wouldn't want bad figs, a basket of bad figs in the temple. So all of those that were would have been, you know, bad figs would have been taken out of the temple. Get those figs out of here. Uh, Those people that went in the first exile, exile is to be taken out of your land. When King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came in, he deposed Jeconiah who'd only been king for three months, and put his uncle Mataniah as, as king, appointed him as king, and changed his name, which is kind of a conquering king sort of thing to do, to um, Zedekiah. But the people listening to Jeremiah now would have thought, yeah, all those people that went with King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, they were the bad figs. Yeah. Go on, out you get all the bad figs. That's that's what, that's what they would have heard. But those people that went were often, in fact, nearly, nearly invariably, they, they were the good people. They were the ones that loved God. You can imagine these people being taken from Jerusalem, wondering, hang on, I, God, we, this isn't fair. You should get rid of the bad people, not the good people. This isn't fair. We're serving you. We're, we're paying our sacrifices. We're doing everything we should. And this is how we're getting treated. So here's the question. How does God treat his people? You know, As I wrote that down, I initially put, how does God treat his faithful people? And I thought, no, 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 you don't need a faithful. Because if you are God's people, you are faithful. Need an adjective on that if you are God's people you, you could say how does God treat his worshiping people no no God's people worship God's people are faithful how does God treat his people I want to take a little excursion from Jeremiah 24 let's come back in here but let's go to Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament Romans chapter 8 come on so we we come to this famous passage in verse 28 which uh, I hope you've got highlighted I hope you've got Underlined. I hope you've got a few sticky notes all around it. And it's this famous verse. It's a fantastic verse. And it says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So how does God treat his people? He treats them good. What does God do for his people? He does good for his people. This verse gets me out of bed in the morning. This verse gets me through challenges. This verse gets me beyond opposition. This verse gets me past obstacles. This verse helps me to bounce back. This verse is a a life verse for me. This verse is my hope that God is always good. Always good. In this same chapter, if we were to go down to verse 35... We find that God's goodness is in a context. And God's goodness, as we go down, we, read, we could read from verse 31. It begins to talk about opposition. So it says things like this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, that only makes sense if you've got people against you. If you've got people against you and you know that when you become a Christian... You'll have people against you. Anyone discovered that? I mean, the, the world will not pat you on the back. And oh, jolly good. You're a Christian now. That's wonderful. They just don't do that. They'll call you names. They'll call you bigot. They'll call you intolerant. They'll call you stupid. What other names have I been called this week? They'll call you all kinds of names. But... What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's not like if God's for us, no one will be against us. If God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. And so we go on in this one. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's a picture of Jesus. Did the world say, oh, Jesus, you're the perfect man. You're awesome. You just go, Jesus. Jesus was perfect and they crucified him. What does it tell us about the human heart? So this Romans 8:28 all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose is not kind of fluffy sort of oh that's lovely let's we should make that into a song and sing it and and make it into a fridge magnet and kind of refer to it occasionally. No, this is this is actually this is gutsy stuff. I mean Paul's writing to the Romans. In just a few years this megalomaniac Caesar that was ruling from Rome would take the Christians that he was writing to in about 2 or 3 years after he wrote this. He would impale them on posts. Cover them in tar and light them at night to mark the way to the Colosseum for the night games. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord. See, don't don't think, oh, that's lovely. It's more than lovely. It's utterly powerful. If you think being a Christian is kind of cushy and easy and the soft way out, you don't get it. Whatever... Wherever you've got that concept of Christianity, take it back to the shop. Get your money back. That's not the real thing. Christianity takes courage to live. And we we read down verse 34, who will condemn us? That tells us what's going on here. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall. Tribulation. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. And that was literally months away from the people that Paul wrote to, literally. And Paul asks, you can imagine Paul writing this and then going, now why would he say that? And then 25 months later reading that going, Paul's a prophet. How would he have known this was going to happen? But notice what he's saying. Because this happens, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger and sword. All things will work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You're all thinking, I didn't come to hear this. I came to hear that stuff you get on TV about, yay, rah, Jesus, yah. I didn't come to hear this. What's he doing? What's that weird book he's preaching from? It's called the Bible. All right, come with me back into Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah twenty-four, verse five. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like that. Notice it. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs. So I will regard as good the Exiles from Judah. Say what? The exiles from Judah. That's not what they thought they were going to hear. Whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. That was not what they were expecting to hear. That the people that were deported out of Judah, out of Israel, they're the good figs presented to the Lord before the temple, which is a really weird concept because they had a totally physical world where the temple was here and that we could worship God here. And the moment we left the temple, we were leaving God behind and we could just go and do whatever. That's whacked. That's occultish. That's not biblical spirituality at all. So it goes on and says, verse 6, So I will set my eyes on them for good. Now, you can imagine these people that were t- deported, they were deported out of Jerusalem to Babylon. They had to walk the whole journey through desert, through heat, through sun, uh, uh, ward off um, the animal attacks, the robber attacks, all the thing. And God is saying, this is for your good. God, I'm sorry, God, I'm, not, I'm just not following here how this is for my good. Notice what he says, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. And if you can recall, this is Jeremiah chapter 1, the very thing that God said Jeremiah would be involved with. Verse 7, I will give them a heart. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. God gives people a heart to know him. And you may hear us say, please choose Jesus. But I've got a little secret for you. The very fact that you do choose Jesus is because God has chosen you. And if you can choose Jesus, it's because Jesus has enabled you to choose him. And if you don't choose Jesus, it just means that you're blind and deaf spiritually. Have a nice day. I will give them a heart. To know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. What a beautiful picture. That statement, by the way, they will be my people, I will be their God. That's a marriage statement. That's, That's a covenant statement. I will be yours, and you will be mine. That's the essence of what a marriage is all about. It's the highest commitment two people can make. God is saying, I'll make the highest commitment I can make to people. They will be mine. I will be theirs for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So imagine these people. Here's a a painting by the artist Tiso, who depicted the Jews being exiled out of Jerusalem. The utter confusion of it. The utter confusion of it. So. God says, even though it looked like these people were the bad figs being expelled from the temple, God says, these are the good figs. These are the ones I chose. These are the ones that I'm working in their heart to know me. So here's the question I have. Why do some people become good figs? Because these people that that are exporting, being exiled out of Jerusalem, they were there with all the other people. They all had the same ancestry. They all had the same preaching. They all had the same information. It wasn't for lack of information that some people were good and some people were bad. And I hear today people say the solution to Tasmania's ills is better education. It's not. It's Jesus. (laughs) The solution to Tasmania's ills is Jesus. To make him known. Man, you can be educated into imbecility if that's a word imbecilism you can be educated into idiocy there we go if you don't know jesus it amounts to nothing you can even have a certificate on the wall to show how imbecilic you are if you don't know jesus it doesn't matter it just doesn't matter Anyone see the, 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 the documentary that of those six Amish kids that went to England? You see, you see they, they, they went and hung out with the guys going, was it was at Eton College. And here's these kids going to Eton College, the, the world's most prestigious private school. And these Amish kids are in this class as they're debating the philosophy of Socrates and different governmental models and how it impacts the legislative democracy of certain third world nations. And, and they, ask, they ask these kids, well, why did you need to know any of that? So that we can get a good job. The Amish look at them like, what's this all about? It, you know, Among the Amish, there's zero unemployment. Now, if you think I'm bagging out education, I'm not, not at all. But if you think education is your saviour, you're wrong. It doesn't save. What is it? Why is it that some people turn out to be good figs and some turn out not? Here's an example in the Bible that we're given. We're named. We have two names of those that, that group of people. That group of people there, if you were to look really closely, you would see Daniel and Ezekiel. They're in that group. Daniel, a young boy, 15, 16 years of age. His parents were probably left behind. He was taken because he was being groomed to be an official. And there's an older guy who's a priest. His name's Ezekiel, and he's been taken. He's, he's older, and, and later on Ezekiel will, will will speak of Daniel as one of the Three godliest men that have ever lived, and so you've got these guys, they're, they're good figs. Why were they good figs? What was it about these guys? They all did one thing, all of them. You could look at all of the things they did, and you would find there was one thing all of them did, and this is it: Good figs fear the Lord. Good figs fear the Lord. Now what does that mean? Stand like, oh, he's going to hit me. Not quite, not quite. To fear the Lord means you are constantly aware of His presence. You're going to do something wrong. Oh, you're watching, aren't you? You're watching. But that fear of the Lord is responded to out of the idea of God is watching over me is not a, oh, darn, I can't do that, He's watching. It's not like that. It's, you're watching me, so I'll be safe, won't I? You'll be watching, so I'll be okay. You see what they're doing, don't you? The fear of the Lord. Everything is referenced back to the Lord. There's not a thought that passes their head that doesn't filter through the fact that they are being watched by God and that they love God and they know God. How on earth do you account for a 15-year-old boy going to Babylon, being given every temptation he could have wanted and saying, no. That's Daniel. No wonder he's regarded as one of the three greatest men to have ever lived in the Old Testament. They all feared the Lord. In fact, Jeremiah identifies this as the thing very early on in his book. He says this, Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. So it's this fear of God, this fear of God that says, I'm more concerned with what you think than what they think. Which we see King Saul, who didn't fear the Lord and did what the people wanted. And the prophet Samuel came along and told him the way it was. Okay, why do some people become bad figs? Well, all of these figs are religious people. It's not like some have got religion, some haven't. It's not like religion will make you good. Just as I've said before, if you think education will save you, I can say the same thing about religion. There are some people who go to great religious lengths thinking that their religious practice will make them right before God. That's not true either. But I want you to hear what it is that makes someone a bad fig. Conceit and pride. That's it conceit and pride we back in the text jeremiah but this this is the last verse i'm going to read because the rest of the chapter makes the same point but but thus says the lord like bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten so i will treat zedekiah the king of judah his officials the remnant of jerusalem who remain in the land and those who dwell in the land of egypt and he goes on the last verse says that they're headed for sword famine and pestilence that's pretty gruesome. but here, So let's come back. Let, let's, let's just do a little bit of a summary here, and then I'm done. Notice these good figs that were taken away. They probably felt like God had let them down. But God says, I have not let you down. In fact, I'm doing good to you. So the next time you feel like God has let you down, don't be too quick to judge God. Don't be too quick. I, I could be here all day telling you of the times when I thought, God had been unfair to me, only to come down the journey of life a little bit, look back and go, thank God that happened. And if you are struggling with that, just talk to some of our older people here who've walked with God for a few years. They'll probably tell you the same thing. Thank God. Many a young girl has prayed to God, oh God, let him be my husband. And God has said, no. Oh, you're so unfair, God. You're so cruel only to find, way down the track of life for a young teenage girl, which is about three hours, that they are on their knees thanking God that he was merciful to them because the guy turned out to be a jerk. So, here's the point. Trust God, even when things look bad. Because these people that God calls good figs, these people that felt they'd been hard done by were actually best done by. So perhaps you're here today and you don't know God. You have not surrendered to God. You have not given your life to God. Perhaps you're here today and right now you are aware of that. If you are, God is at work in your heart. And he is doing what he said in this text, putting in your heart a knowledge To know Him. If that's you right now, while people are praying, if that's you right now, you know you have never given your life to God, then I want to lead you in a prayer. This prayer asks for God to forgive you, it asks for Him to help you to live, it asks for Him to give you a new life, it asks for Him to help you to live the kind of way He wants you to live. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you know you do not have peace with God, you know that your life is not surrendered to God right now. Perhaps you have gone away from God. Perhaps you've been someone who's been on the edge, on the fringe. And you know, I don't want to be a bad fig. I want to be somebody who's going to live for Jesus. Then will you pray this prayer with me? Let's pray. God, please forgive me of my sins. Come and live in me and help me to live for you. I thank you. That you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in my place. I want him to be Lord and Savior of my life. Teach me what I need to know and help me to share with others what I now know. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray, just minister right across this auditorium now. Minister to people. Holy Spirit, begin to bring people to that place of surrender Lord for those people that are battling with the weight of guilt and sin right now because Jesus Christ has died in your place and you have given him your life with your sin I declare to you your sins are forgiven and Father I pray that we will walk in the fear of the Lord knowing the comforting thought that you are watching over us In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Figs are an interesting analogy, but it's a good question. What makes for a good fig? And more importantly, where do you stand? More from Dr. Corbett next week in Jeremiah, his topic, the captivator. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, What Makes for a Good Fig, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.